This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Ken Smetters. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM's Business Radio, Channel 132. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smithers, a professor here in Philadelphia. And we are live every Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 to 3 p.m. for those of you in the West Coast. And the purpose of the show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. So if you got a question about your money, uh, you know the drill. Now is the time to give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And today I'm joined by two great guests. The first will be Janet Alvarez, who's the executive director of Wise Bread and anchor for the WHYY NPR uh, uh, local here. And we are going to speak a, about a recent article on on Wise Bread called "How to Pay Off These Four Types of Debt." So if you got a debt issue, now is the time to really. Uh, listening, give us a call. So with me in studio is Jenna Alvarez, who's the executive editor of Wise Bread, and as well as anchor for WHYY uh, NPR. She appears uh, frequently in national media, including being on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Washington, uh, ABC, CBS, and many others. She's also currently a finalist for Neiman uh, Journalism Fellowship at Harvard. Welcome to the show, Janet. Thank you for having me. And so let's go over some of the different types mentioned uh, of debt mentioned in the article. First, of course, credit card debt. That's often the big one. Uh, what's your think about uh, strategies? You know, for paying off credit card debts. Um, I, I know you kind of have to know more information in general, but did you have some kind of package strategies for best methods for paying off credit card debts? Yeah, absolutely. So really, they're two very, very famous um, strategies for paying down credit card debt effectively. The first is known as the debt avalanche method, in which you start with your highest interest rate debt and pay that down first. And the theory is that if it's got a high interest rate, it's going to accumulate all this additional interest. It's going to capitalize. It's going to cost you more if you don't pay it down first. The other method, which is the one I tend to like better, is called the Mm. snowball method, which is starting with your smallest debt first, pay it off. And then the money that you have left over every month, once that debt is paid off, you can apply towards your next biggest debt. Pay that one off. Then when that's paid off, you take that extra money that you have left over and apply it to the next biggest debt and so on and so forth until you pay off all your debt. The reason I like the snowball method a lot better than the debt avalanche method is because it has psychological benefits. And so much about money, so much about debt and personal finance is about our emotions rather than our reason. If we were all functioning completely logically in a setter's pair of a scenario, we probably wouldn't be getting into as much debt and as much financial trouble. But but we're emotional creatures, so we should respond emotionally. Yeah, I I, I certainly hear that. At the same time, it can also be a lot more costly that way, right? I mean, because you're not ranking by the highest interest rate first. Precisely. It can be more costly. But I think a lot of behavioral finance studies have shown that, in fact, where you can amass wins, where you can build positive momentum, where you can apply positive psychology towards your finances, you're likeliest to succeed. And so it may cost you a little bit more over the long term, but it would cost you even more if you didn't have success in paying off your debt. I mean, but if someone is disciplined enough, they're willing to do it. I mean, would you at that point uh, recommend interest rate ranking? Or is, I mean, it's the snowball. I kind of view it as if they're not willing to take any action, they absolutely need to have those psychological wins. Is that that the... So so let me give you an example. Yeah. 
If you have a lot of credit card debt, you usually get into a lot of credit card debt either because of extenuating circumstances. So let's say you're going through a bad divorce or yeah. let's say you just lost your job. An extenuating circumstance, it's really no fault of your own, but you have generally good disciplined financial habits. Yeah. In that case, uh, the debt avalanche method probably works better in your favor, mm. almost certainly works better in your favor. Yeah. If if you're the sort of person though who has gotten into credit card debt, gotten into high interest debt because your your habits aren't the greatest, and, and let's be honest here, that's the vast majority of people, then the snowball method is preferable because it gives you the psychological momentum to get it done. And that's the biggest hurdle. For mm. the average person who's carrying a lot of debt, the issue is not so much uh, – discipline. It's, it's, it's having the, the psychological wins, the fortitude, the, the momentum to keep going and get it paid off. Does that work to you know just call up the credit card companies and say, hey, get, give me a lower interest rate? It can, absolutely. And so I always advocate for doing that, uh, mm-hmm. taking a moment to call the credit card companies and request a lower interest rate. But let's be honest, again, if you're in a world of debt, they're not likely to lower your interest yeah. rate. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little about personal loans. I mean, uh, People often don't think about personal loans. They think about credit card, a line of credit, you know, associated with their home. You know, when when do you if, uh, recommend or think about using a personal loan? So personal loans are great for one-time large expenses um, that you intend on repaying in a disciplined fashion over a concrete period of time. So let's say you have a home renovation or you're starting a business. These are good times to seek a personal loan. Personal loans generally tend to carry lower interest rates, significantly lower interest rates than most credit cards. Right. So for starting a business, for renovating your home, for um, taking on large projects like these, personal loans can be good ideas. They're not a good idea, though, for things like like buying a car or for buying things that you can't really afford, like vacations or luxury goods. They're right. not a good idea for a car because a car um, serves as collateral for the loan that you're taking out. So you're better off just getting a car note where you have the underlying collateral yeah. uh, in the form of the vehicle. And, of course, they're really bad ideas for luxuries and, and other things that aren't necessities yeah. that, you, that you can't afford in the first place. Yeah, that can uh, certainly get people in the into a hole, but for things like renovations, would you ever use a personal loan over just getting a HELOC or other type of loan of credit? It, you know, again, it just comes down to the interest rate offered. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, personal loans can have more competitive interest rates, and that's why I advocate for it. The HELOC also is tied into your mortgage, so that adds another degree of complexity to your mortgage financing and, and all of the calculus surrounding that. Yeah, and again, speaking of Janet Alvarez, who's executive editor of Wise Bread, uh, if you get, got a question about loans, now, now's a good time to call 1-844-WORKED, and that's 1-844-942-7866. So let's talk about student loans. I mean, sometimes it can feel you know overwhelming to a lot of people. Um, it, it, one of the things that your article emphasizes is simply knowing the, how much you actually mm-hmm. owe. Um, it, it seems like, well, People should actually know that, but you know, sometimes it's hard to, to actually understand that. So how, how does someone find out that information? Well, if you have private loans, contact your lenders. And mm-hmm. if your loans uh, are with the federal government, finaid.gov. Uh, and if you have both, then, then you check with both. But it's important to check regularly because interest is constantly capitalizing on these loans. And in many cases, if you've been on deferment, forbearance, um, a hardship payment, method, uh, interest can be capitalizing more quickly than you assume. 
and your balance can actually be ballooning. Mm. So don't assume that your balance was uh, exactly the the same balance you had when you left school. It might actually be higher in some circumstances. So it's important to check frequently and to be honest with yourself about what the balance really is. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, I think, what a lot of people don't realize is that the um, the entire balance is going to be going up after you leave school and even if you start paying off six months later it could be a, a, the balance could have grown quite a bit Precisely. so if you have you know uh, loan consolidations obviously very active in this area I mean it, it, there's always lots of warnings and so forth about mm-hmm. consolidation I mean do you like the idea of consolidation on one hand it creates simplicity on the other hand you know you have to be kind of careful uh, your, your thoughts so just to clarify your question are you talking about loan consolidation for the purposes of of getting a lower interest rate through yeah. private consolidators yeah or? I mean that's the usual pitch is mm-hmm. that you know you, you get a lower interest rate and it's typically on the government loans typically on the private loans um, but of course there's always you know lots of hooks and costs mm-hmm. and, and so forth so, th- so I think we need to tease this out a little bit. I'll get a little bit more granular. Mm-hmm. In the case of private loans, yes, it generally makes sense to consolidate where you can get a lower interest rate. So if you can get a lower interest rate through another third-party lender, by all means, do consolidate your sure. private student loans. And there are wonderful lenders out there that even offer some protections in the case of job loss or income loss for other reasons. Of course, look at the fine print in terms of costs and so forth. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. In the case of federal student loans, Consolidate with the government, mm. but do not t- consolidate those loans with a private lender because right, you end right. up losing a lot of the protections that the federal government offers you. For example, if you are on an income-sensitive repayment plan, such as pay-as-you-earn or income-based repayment with the federal government, if you lose your job or your income is very low for any reason, for any period of time, yeah. your payment could effectively be zero. And there's also debt forgiveness after X number of years that, of course, comes with an asterisk attached to it. And we can't we probably don't have time to unpack all of it. But but the bottom line is the debt you have with the government. Keep with the government. The government has far more protections, offers far more protections for the average borrower than than private student loan lenders do. But you do want to consolidate your federal student loans with the government. And that's because in some cases, if you have loans dating from before 2006, you don't qualify for things like income-based repayment and pay-as-you-earn. If you do want to qualify for those, you have to consolidate that debt so that it's a single loan um, that's being disbursed uh, currently. Yeah. And if you ever, uh, do you find those interest rates, especially in the private loans, ever negotiable? They they can be, and they also um, include certain protections or, or benefits. That if you auto pay, you get zero point two five percent off. Is one um, promotion that I've seen. If you make X number of payments on time over so many years, they'll take off another bit of your interest. Yeah. Um, and and again, these do tend to be competitive interest rates. And some of these lenders offer their most competitive rates for for students of, uh, for graduates of of prestigious uh, universities. So graduates from from Wharton, another highly prestigious academic institutions, who are likelier to earn high incomes, qualify for the best interest rates. And uh, finally, let's talk about the kind of the dreaded mortgage. Uh, we certainly get a lot of callers, uh, people trying to figure out, should I pay down this you know, mortgage earlier should I, or instead I invest in the market? 
um, do something else uh, with that money. Typically, that means investing. Uh, do, do you guys have kind of uh, one of the things I really emphasize to callers is that they understand that they're not looking just at expected returns to the stock market because, after all, that's not accounted for risk. If they uh, had to invest anything in bonds, that that's the appropriate uh, you know comparison point. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys have any kind of rule of thumb that if the mortgage is below a certain rate, just you know? don't pay it down faster? Or yeah. What's your current? I mean, there are a couple of simple rules of thumb. Yeah. I mean, the first one, which you alluded to, which is perhaps an oversimplification, but it's still worth repeating because it is just broadly a decent rule of thumb, yeah. is that if you expect to earn greater returns on your money than the interest rate that you're paying on your mortgage or any debt, then it's probably a better bet to invest money. But of course, prior returns are not a guarantee of future returns. So you can't really rely on your expected rate of return in equities. Um, when you talk about bonds, that probably is a, a, a better rule of thumb. Right. So if you have a really low um, interest rate, it's, it's probably a better idea to invest it. Also, you also have to look at your time horizon, though. So if you're nearing, if you're nearing retirement, think about your priorities. If you're close, you know, you're five, 10 years out from retirement, let's say, you want to look at your investment accounts. Do you have enough invested or are you on a financial trajectory to invest enough between now and then that um, you'll feel comfortable in retirement? Yeah. If that's, uh, that's, that's not the case, then you want to invest more rather than pay down the, the mortgage. And certainly having an emergency account as well. I mean, obviously, that's kind of the first step. And then uh, in some cases, insurance products, life insurance, and so forth, uh, the next step. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the emergency account. I mean, at what point um, are you are you kind of the three to six month kind of, uh, of expenditure type of uh, rule person? Or do you have... Uh, other thoughts about, you know, when is it okay to kind of accelerate payments of like mortgages, other things? Uh, at what point do you, uh, in the emergency account are you looking for? So I tend to be a little bit more conservative and nuanced. Yeah. Um, and it's not one size fits all. So let's say that you are young and you're in a highly marketable field where your job op- options are strong and you're likely to get a job easily and the economy's good. Yep. You can probably get away with just three to six months of living expenses. Yep. But let's say you're an older worker, you're over 50. Um, you have a job that pays a lot of money, and those jobs are relatively scarce, difficult to come by. It'll take you a long time to replace that job if you lose it. Then you definitely want to look at something more like a one-year emergency yeah, fund. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you certainly do not want to be investing aggressively if you don't have that one year saved. And in some cases, especially for older workers, especially for people who um, are primary breadwinners, support a large family, have large incomes, that emergency fund might have to be over a year. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And we have sometimes people call from the oil and gas industry, and I'm like, nope, you, you need a year uh, in in that case. If someone doesn't have an emergency fund, you know, set aside, they need assets. I mean, what are the things that you recommend besides a credit card? Are there, you know, um, tapping into kind of home equity? You know, what, what are the things that you, you often uh, suggest? Well, it it again really depends on what you need the money for and what sort of interest rates are available yeah. to you. Credit cards, payday loans, these things should be your last resort because yep. they generally carry usurious rates of interest right. that are just egregious and should be avoided at all costs. Yeah. I am a little bit old-fashioned, and I come from an immigrant household. If you can get mm. friends and family to help you, mm. friends and family to give you money or lend you money, that should be your first option because those – 
that's generally interest-free and that's money that you can repay over time and it doesn't come with the sort of consequences that owing uh, money to a financial well, institution. Well, maybe in your household, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and then second, we've been talking about personal loans. Personal loans can be a, a good solution, again, for some of these situations. But, but again, you have to consider how you're going to repay that over time and, and what the mm. overall consequences are going to be on your finances. Excellent. Jan, f- fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And you can find out more about Janet by going to their website, which is simply wisebread.com. And you're listening to your money. Ken Smith's Business Radio here in Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.